0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم أنفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله uh, we thank and we praise Allah Azza wa as He allows us to gather once again to seek and to discuss His ayat and to delve into the tafsir of His ayat, of His glorious and noble book. <clears throat> and tonight, Alhamdulillah, we have reached the lesson or lesson number 10 of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Qur'an course. And previously we've covered um, the importance of discussing, or discussing the tafsir and, and delving into the ayat of the Qur'an and the meanings of the ayat. And then we moved on to, a, to an explanation and a tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, which we completed two lessons back. And in our last lesson, Alhamdulillah, we completed Surah al duha Tonight, inshallah, we move on to the next Surah, which is Surah Al-Sharh. Surah Al-Sharh or Surah Al-Inshirah, according to uh, different scholars, which basically means the same thing. As-Sharh, which translates to the Surah of Relief or the Surah of Ease and so forth. This Surah is very similar to Surah Al-Duha as it also addresses Rasulullah directly. And in fact, many scholars considered it or some scholars considered it to be a continuation of Surah Al-Duha as if it was one Surah. As we discussed last week, Surah Al-Duha, Allah Azzawajal sent it to Rasulullah he revealed it to Rasulullah sallallahu to console him because of the cessation of wahi. And we saw how he consoled his, his beloved messenger and how he confirmed his love for him and made, made it clear to him that he had not forsaken him, that he does not hate him and so forth. طيب, in this surah, Allah continues to console and mention his blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa the theme is similar to that of Al-Duha, although we will find some, uh, some slight differences and of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions different types of blessings. So in Al-Duha we saw, he mentioned blessings that are uh, perceivable. You know, for example did we not find you as a, an orphan? And we sheltered you. Did we not find you as someone who was lost? And we uh, guided you. And did we not find you as someone who was poor? And we sustained you and so forth, right? These are benefits and blessings of Allah Azza wa upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which is perceivable that he could feel, that he could physically see and touch, right? Whereas in this surah we will see Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala mentions different type of blessings and different uh, type of favors that he has bestowed upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that is abstract blessings that we cannot necessarily see physically but it was there, it happened, Right, and we will go through these bi taala, and we will see how this is a continuation of the consolement of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam by his master Allah azza wa So, we mentioned this narration last week for the reason uh, for the revelation of this surah as well as surah al-duha. Right, we said we spoke about the revelation that has ceased for a while, and the people came and they said. If it was really from Allah, revelations would come one after another. But Allah has forsaken him and hates him. And then Allah revealed, وَالضُّحَىٰ and نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صَدَرَكَ So according to this narration of Mu'tamir ibn Sulaiman, who narrates from his father, this two, these two surahs were revealed together. And as we said, to console Rasulullah So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we start the surah and He said, Alam نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صدرك. Alam nashrah laka صَدَرَكْ Have we not uplifted or expanded your heart for you, O Prophet? So, first issue, alam, right? We know that this ah, this hamza, in the beginning of the, of the word or the sentence like this is used for a question, as a, as a question. But here Allah subhanahu says, alam nashrah. That means, have we not? Because the lam there is for, um, for negation. To put this into a negative context, so Allah is basically saying, Did we not, have we not opened up your chest, expanded your chest, relieved or uplifted your chest? Ta'ib, and these type of questions, the ulama say, is uh, questions that are taqreeri or even rhetorical to an extent, meaning they they don't require a, a response because actually they are affirmative. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking it, but the answer is already known. The answer, has the, the, it has already taken place. Similarly, in surah Al-Duhah, Allah said, Alam faawa?" Did we not find you as an orphan and we sheltered you? These questions don't require an answer because it's basically Allah stating a fact. It's a fact that yes, He did find him as an orphan and He did shelter him. Similarly, did we not uplift your heart? Or, or Messenger of Allah, or Muhammad, the answer is not even required because it's well known that Allah Jalla did. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had expanded His chest and we will expound upon this later طيب, as if to say, we have indeed uplifted your heart. This is the meaning of this, this ayah. It's posed as a question, but it's known that indeed we have uplifted or expanded your heart or your chest. Um, next up is the word شَرْح. Nashrah. Right, This word Sharh, in Arabic, it could either mean to open or to expand on something or to explain and clarify something. Okay. Similarly, we have a Sharh of a certain book, like Sharh of Kitab and so and so, which means a commentary or an explanation or a clarification on a certain book. But it can also mean to open or to expand. Right? And in this case, this is what this word means. It doesn't mean an explanation or a commentary like we use, usually we say a sharh of this book. In this instance, the word means to open or to expand, right? Another example of this we find in the Qur'an, Allah said, اللَّهُ أَيَّهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ it comes from the word sharh, we underlined it there. Whoever Allah guides or wills to guide, he opens the heart to Islam. Yashraḥ sadrahu. He opens the heart to Islam, right? So this is what this word sharḥ means in this context. It means to open something up, to expand upon something. For example, Nabi Musa alayhi salam when he was sent to Fir'aun. What was the du'a that he made? The famous du'a: "Rabbish Come, come. Some of the word sharḥ: "Rabbish sadri." Oh my Lord, expand for me my my heart. Open up my chest. Open up my heart so that. He can, you know, he can. He, his heart will be open when he speaks to Fir'aun. He will not be stuck. He will know what to say and so forth. He will be guided. Right? So in this surah, Allah mentions that He has opened the Prophet's heart. That He has opened the Prophet's chest. Alam nashrah laka This, what does this mean? That Allah has expanded His chest, or opened His chest, or opened His heart. What does this mean? Firstly, it could imply a sharh ma'nawi which means an abstract way of, of opening his heart, a metaphorical way of, of opening his heart. Right? So Ibn Abbas, the great Sahabi, he said, this means, did we not open your heart to Al-Islam? This is, what he, this is what it means, that we opened your heart to the Deen of Islam. It was expanded, it was open to accept this Deen of Islam. Did we not soften your heart? This is another interpretation of Ibn Abbas. Did we not soften your heart? A soft heart is a heart that accepts the truth and so forth submits also he mentions that the prophet ﷺ said about the signs of an open heart it avoids the place of deception yani this dunya the open heart the heart has, that has been opened that has been expanded upon what type of heart is this what's the sign of this heart he said it's the heart that avoids the place of deception it, it stays away from the dunya and it's the heart that repents towards the place of eternity it turns back to the to the to the Akhirah it's it's striving towards the, the Akhirah to Jannah and it prepares for death before its arrival it prepares for death before its arrival this is how the Prophet Sallallahu basically mentioned in this narration um, how do we know when the heart has been expanded upon number one it doesn't strive for this world it turns away from the things in this world number two it wants to go back to the Akhirah it wants to go back to Jannah and thirdly it's a heart that prepares for death Prepares for moat before death comes. Before death arrives, it's already preparing itself for death. Wallahu al Al Hassan said it means his heart was filled with wisdom and knowledge. His heart was filled with wisdom and knowledge. Imam Kathir rahimahullah, he said it means we illuminated his heart and we made it spacious. We made it spacious, vast and wide. And this is similar to the ayah where Allah says, yashraḥ islam We explain this ayah. Whomsoever Allah wills to guide, he opens his heart to Islam. So this is what Ibn Kathir said about this ayah, that his heart was illuminated. If he made it vast and spacious and wide. طيب, so that's one interpretation of what is meant by Alam have we not expanded your chest, your, your heart? Obviously, the word صدرك, that calf at the end means you, right? Whenever a calf is like this added to a word at the end, it means you, it's a kafal uh, al-mukhataba, meaning the address is to the person that you are speaking to in the second person. Right? Like we say, as-salamu alayka, peace be upon you. Okay, fa-haluka, how are you? This is sadarakah, your heart, speaking to who? In this case, we know when, this, when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks like this, He's speaking to who? To Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa But the message that goes to him also has to go to the? is also meant for the entire ummah. So the lessons in this is for us as well, inshallah. So just as Allah expanded his chest, he also made his law, his deen, vast, wide, accommodating and easy, containing no difficulty, hardship or burden. That's from the words of Ibn Kathir, um, rahimahullah. A person's heart can be opened to the hukum of Allah in two ways. To To the laws of Allah, it has two ways that we need the heart to be opened. Either towards legislative rulings of Allah, which applies to the ahkam of the sharia, right? The rulings of the sharia, the halal and haram, and the wajibat and the muharramat and so forth, or towards Allah's divine decree. So we've got shari'i and qadari, right? Let's look at shari'i firstly. Often we find people's desires can be in opposition to Allah's legislative rulings. Sometimes our heart is in, is, our, our, our nafs is inclined towards something which is haram. Our desires is is inclined towards something, it's attracted to something which is haram. Ta'ib, it could either be fulfilling certain obligations becomes difficult. Look at the munafiqeen and salah. When they stood for salah, what does Allah say? When they stood for salah, they stood lazily and they would show off to people. This was the salah, this was how they were tested, right? And also sometimes leaving up or giving up haram can be difficult upon a person because his nafs is, is, is inclined to some type of haram. Um, As some struggle to, uh, to abstain from haram, whether it's lowering the gaze, whether it's the haram of the tongue, like backbiting, like you know, swearing and so forth. Various types of muharramat there are and different people have their own tests. You know? Each person has their own test. And for some people it's difficult to give it up so what we require is that our our heart needs to be opened it's to be expanded so that we can submit to this law of allah so that we can submit to the deen of allah and that we do not submit to our desires right so yusuf we know the story of yusuf and the wife of al-aziz who she was extremely attracted to yusuf because he was extremely handsome and we know surah yusuf The Quran says that she advanced towards him and he would would have done likewise. Listen to the wording that Allah uses. Allah didn't say that Yusuf was so pious he immediately turned away and he had no inclination towards her. He had no shahwa, He had no desires. No. Allah says he would have done likewise. Meaning he was also naturally as a human being, as a man, he felt that, you know, this was some attraction there as well. Had he not seen a sign from his Lord. But Yusuf... He was a man of knowledge, of insight. He understood halal and haram. He knew this was haram. He saw a sign from Allah Azza wa and evidence from Allah Azza wa And therefore he turned away. Therefore he turned away. This was acting upon his knowledge. This was guidance from Allah. This is his heart being expanded to accepting the law of Allah even though his, his nafs is inclined to perhaps towards haram. This is how Allah says how we kept evil and indecency away from him, for he was truly one of our chosen servants. And from amongst them, Allah the, the hadith basically mentions seven people that will be shaded by Allah under his shade on a day in which there is no shade except his shade. Right? Quickly we go through them. A just imam, a young person who is raised upon worshipping Allah, a man whose heart is attached to the masjid, when he leaves from it until he returns to it. Two men who love each other for Allah's sake coming together upon that and parting upon that. A man who remembers Allah in privacy and his eyes swell up with tears. And then Allah, or the hadith says, a man invited by a woman of status and beauty, who was exactly like the woman that, that you know, invited Yusuf, but this man, he says, I fear Allah, mighty and sublime is He exactly what Yusuf alayhi salam did. Ma'ad Allah, he said. Right? he sought refuge in Allah Azza And a man who concealed the charity he gives, such that his left hand does not know what his right hand has spent. This is exactly Yusuf alayhi salam, the, the one who will be shaded under the throne. This is an example of these type of people because Yusuf's heart was, it was open. Allah expanded his chest to, to, to that deen at the time, which was, you can say, is Islam. And he, he preferred this deen over his shahwa. Um, opening the heart to the legislative laws of Allah, therefore, means accepting the laws of Allah, being pleased with it and implementing it, right? As if the person says, I heard and I obey. So this is when a person's heart is opened to the laws of Allah, in terms of the Sharia, what does it mean? It means he, number one, he accepts these laws as it is. He doesn't change them. He doesn't decide what's okay and what's not okay. It's not a, a deen that he wants to reform and change with his own opinions. He accepts it. And secondly, he's pleased with it. He acknowledges where it comes from, Al-Hakim, al Alim and therefore he implements it. This is a person whose heart has been opened to the legislative laws of Allah, and this is the type of people that we should strive to be. May Allah make us of them. Amen. Secondly, we have opening the heart towards Allah's divine decree. Right? Al-Qadr. So a person accepts and is pleased with the decree of Allah, such a person will never be depressed or grieved, because his heart has been opened and whatever happens? He accepts it and he says, "Qadar Allahu ma Qadar Allahu wa ma This is the way of the believer. Anything happens, he says, "Qadar Allahu ma That was not his plan, but Qadar Allah. Allah decreed it, and Allah does whatever He wants. This is what the believer should say when anything happens that that was not part of his plan, that he perhaps perhaps upset him, perhaps it was not um, uh, in line with what he was hoping for, or something goes wrong. We say in Qadar Allahumma wa ma sha'afal. If there's a calamity, anything major goes wrong, somebody passes away in an accident, and so forth. We can also say Inna lillahi wa inna ilaihi raji'un. Right? As the hadith says, عجبا لأمر Mu'min Inna Amrahu kullahu khair. Amazing is the affair of the believer, for indeed all of his affairs are good. The believer. ولايس ذاك لآحاد إلا للمؤمنين. This doesn't apply to anyone except who, except the believer. In shakarah, If any good comes towards him, befalls him, this person is grateful. He's thankful to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. فكان خيرا له. So therefore, it's something good for him. And if any darra befalls him, any harm, any evil, any bad befalls him, sabara, He bears patience and he perseveres. فكان خيرا له. And therefore, this will also be something good for him. Whatever happens, if it's something good, Alhamdulillah, we have. We are grateful to Allah. If it's something bad, Alhamdulillah, we have sabr. So it's a good thing. All of the affairs of the believer is good, no matter what happens. He's not, he does, his affair doesn't change. It's always good. It's always between goodness. And this is how the believer should be, right? So opening the chest towards Qadr is therefore expanding the chest, its calmness towards the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is also its acceptance and pleasure towards the decree. We accept it. Whatever happens, qadar allah wa masha'a That is what Allah has decided and Allah does as He pleases. We submit to this. and We are pleased with it um, at all times. So, those are the two types of expansion of the chest. Towards the, the deen, the, the, the laws within the deen, and then towards the dec- decisions of Allah, the decree of Allah. If we look at our beloved Prophet he had the greatest share in both of these openings or expansions of his chest. Nobody submitted to the deen better than him. Nobody put the deen of Islam first better than him. And nobody had more sabr upon the decree of Allah than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So when Allah says, Alam Nash sadrak that surely indeed we have opened your chest, O Messenger, O Rasulullah, then definitely this has taken place. And if we look at the life of the Prophet, we will see how much his chest was open towards the ahkam of the sharia the rulings of the sharia and how much it was open to accepting the divine decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we see he was the most conscious god conscious or Allah conscious that should have been or and fearful of Allah and the best of all worshippers nobody can compare to his ibadah fasting qiyamul layl every night and so forth his feet would swell up his wives would say ya rasulullah why do you do this you've fasted and previous sins and future sins have been forgiven what was his answer shall i not be a thankful slave this was the worship ibadah of rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. and he was also the most patient when it comes to the decree of Allah. nobody endured more than him in terms of strife hardship and, st- and struggle and difficulty nobody endured more than our beloved messenger sallallahu How much did his enemies not plot against him? How much? In Makkah initially, called him a madman, called him crazy. They beat him physically that the blood would run down his, his head. Eventually he had to leave his beloved city of Makkah and he said, when he left there, I would have never left Makkah. The people of Makkah did not throw me out. And he was forced to make Hijrah. Even when he made the Hijrah, they plotted his assassination before this. And, and as he made Hijrah they chased him, they chased him down. He was poisoned, he was fought at every opportunity. Right? His beloveds around him, his beloved wife Khadijah Binti Khawalid radiallahu anha passed away in his lifetime. Hamza passed away in his lifetime. Abu Talib passed away who was close to him even though he did not accept Islam. Six of his own children died in his lifetime. Six of his own children he had to bury with his own hands. These are some of the tests. How the people of Taif abused him. Even in Mecca with the Munafiqeen and so forth. His tests were endless. But he had the most sabr. He had the most sabr. Even in terms of illness. Abdullah, he says, I visited the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi while he was suffering from a high fever. So I said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you have a high fever? He said, yes. I have as much fever as two men of you. So his fever wasn't like ours. It was double that of ours. It was double that of ours. It was like two men's fever, subhanallah. And he said, is this because you will have double reward? He said, yes, it, yes, it is so. And then he said in amazing words, no Muslim is afflicted with any harm, even if it were a prick of a thorn. But Allah expi- expiates his sins because of that as a tree sheds its leaves, subhanallah. But this was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi, so his heart was the most the heart that was expanded by the most towards the deen of allah and the rulings as well as the the divine decree we should therefore strive to purify our hearts and ask allah at all times to expand our chest like musa made that dua we should make this dua allah expands our chest in this way towards both things towards accepting his decree and towards accepting his deen the laws of islam that we can accept it and abide by it as best as possible. May Allah make us of them. Ameen. Sharhisi, meaning Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Wasallam, and this is specific to him alone, his heart, his chest was also split and opened physically in a perceivable manner. Not only in the abstract manner that we spoke about now, but also in a physical manner. At the first time this happened was when he was a small boy, staying with Halimah, al right? Narrated that. Anas, he says that Jibreel came to the messenger of Allah when he was playing with the other boys. Small boy, he was playing outside with the boys. Jibreel took him and threw him to the ground and then he opened his chest and took out his heart. From which he took a clot of blood and said, this was shaitan's share of you. So this was extracted from the heart of Rasulullah then he washed it in a vessel of gold that was filled with zamzam. But his heart was then washed in a, a golden vessel which was filled with Zamzam. Then he put it back together and returned it to its place in his chest. The boys who saw this, subhanAllah, imagine, they went running to Halima, who was his nursing mother, and said, Muhammad has been killed. They went to him, and his color had changed. The face of his color had changed. He was obviously in a state of fear as well. And Anas said, I used to see the mark of that stitching on his chest. The effect of that opening and closing remained that Anas could see it later on in his life. So this happened initially when he was a small boy. And this hadith is in Sahih, Muslim. This also happened when? On the Isra and Mi'raj. Right, the hadith basically mentions, While I was at the house between sleeping and being awake, I heard someone saying, the one in the middle of the three And I was brought a a vessel of gold containing Zamzam water, so my chest was split to here. But Ada says, to where? And Anna says, means to the bottom of his stomach. His chest was split right down to the bottom of his stomach. And then the Prophet said, my heart was removed and washed with Zamzam water, then returned to its place. And then I was filled, meaning the heart was filled with faith and wisdom, with Iman and Hikmah. And... It me this wording, it says this is a long hadith. The long hadith goes on to speak about the whole Mi'raj and Isra that took place with the Burak and up into the first heaven, the second heaven, the whole long narration. That's why it me this says there's a long story with this hadith. So this happened during the Isra. And this proves that the Prophet's heart was physically purified from all types of illness. Black spots, yes, like every sin we have makes a black spot, but also hasad and you know all types of illness of the heart was removed and it was filled with iman and with hikmah and as some of the scholars say this was in preparation for the sharh mentioned in this ayah so this took place and then the the other expansion also took place so his heart was basically expanded upon in both ways physically and in an abstract manner with it opening to islam opening to allah's decree and so forth and allah knows best we move on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, And we relieved you of your burden. We relieved you of your burden. Imam ibn Kathir he says this means. This ayah, he says, he explains this ayah that Allah may forgive your sins of the past and the future. Right? So the word here means basically means sin. Right? The burden here in this ayah, it, means, it refers to sins. It refers to sins. And <clears throat> relieved means we have forgiven you. We have forgiven you of your burden, meaning we've forgiven you of your sins. Right? Some ulama say, what sins are this? This refers to Jahiliya. That before Islam came, whatever they used to do amongst their people, right? Um, even though it's not considered as a sin, but it refers to that. Right, it refers to that. Some of the scholars said this. We'll discuss this issue later on, insha'Allah, the sins of the prophets and so forth. anqada So this ayah says, we relieved you of your burden, which was those sins, right? Which weighed so heavily on your back. Which weighed so heavily on your back. Ibn Kathir says, Al-Inqad, which is from Anqadah, means the sound, it means it refers to a sound. Okay, what does that mean we explain? Al-Qurtubi says in his tafsir, It weighed down upon him until its sound was heard. The linguists of the Arabic language have said, The load, like the word anqadah, weighs down on the back of the camel when you hear its squealing from the extreme load. And also they would say, I heard the naqid, which comes from anqadah, of the camel, meaning its squealing. So, what is this telling us, which weighs so heavily on your back, this word anqadah or inqad or naqid comes from this word anqadah, means, it refers to an extremely heavy load that causes cracking, that causes a person to squeal, so when the camel would be loaded, they would say anqadah, the camel has been anqadah, it has been, it's, its weight is so heavy upon him that it would squeal, you could hear it screeching, right, this is the word Allah uses to describe how the Prophet ﷺ felt towards this burden. So this is how that sins was upon him. It was like such a weight that would cause him to squeal, to, to, to break. This is how much of a burden it was upon him. Allah subhanahu says, We relieved you of this. Right? again, consoling him, showing him that you know you've been forgiven. Don't worry, don't stress, we move on, you know. Al-Muhasibi says. The sins of the Ambiya were only described with this extreme weight, like Anqadah, even though it was forgiven, their sins are forgiven, but yet it was described like this due to their strong feelings of worry, regret, and distress concerning them. Subhanallah. Why is it described like this? Were they major, were they major sinners, the Ambiya? Was the Prophet a major sinner? Was he on the brink of disbelief? Did he leave of his salah? Did he. No, of course not. So why was it that these sins were so heavy upon him? Because this is how much they felt, how strong they they felt of worry and regret and distress concerning their sins, concerning their shortcomings rather, concerning their mistakes we should say, right? And this is the way of a believer in reality, that we are supposed to give importance to our sin, meaning we're supposed to be worried about our sin. We're not supposed to treat the sin lightly. This is the way of a true believer and we will see a, a narration coming up. Ibn Uthaymi also comments and he says that the strongest part of the body for carrying loads is your back. Right? If the back cannot bear the load, then what about the rest of the body? Think about it. If you need to carry something heavy, really heavy, your hands would not be able to cope. If there's one place on your body that can bear the weight, it's to chuck it on your back and carry it. And We've seen people doing this, you know, uh, and so forth. Because the back is the strongest part of your body that can really carry a strong weight, right? Yet, this was weighing so heavily on his back as if he could not bear it, right? Caused him to screech, to crack, to break. Imagine how strong this burden was, right? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, the believer sees his sins as if he was at the base of a mountain fearing that it was about to fall upon him. This is the believer. When you, when you sin, You should always remember that sin and think about it. To keep you on God, to keep you on your toes, so that you do not become negligent, do not become heedless. So we see our sins as if it's about to fall upon us. Hence, what do we do? We rush to make tawbah. We rush to do more good deeds and to keep away from sin. This is the the hikmah behind it, and this is how the Anbiya were. Any small thing they did, any small thing they did, it was a major thing to them. It wasn't something minor, they didn't just like the wicked person, he sees his sins as if they are flies hitting his nose. So what does he do? He just motions with his hand like this to get them to fly away. That's it. Another sin, we just brush it away. Another sin, we brush it away. Another sin, we brush it away. And we carry on sinning. And we stay in a state of ghafla, of heedlessness. Wallahu al-musta'an. The righteous were people were not like this. And at the head of them is the Anbiya, alayhimu salatu wa They treated that sins with concern and with worry. And this led them to tawbah constantly. This led them to righteous deeds all the time and it kept them away from any type of sin um, and so forth. Even on Qiyamah, we know the famous hadith. We will go to, people will go to Ibrahim, they will go to Nuh, they will go to Musa, to Isa. Each prophet will say, nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. Worried about himself, about what he did one day, about one mistake that he did here and there. This is how much worry and concern they would have towards their sins, even on the day of Qiyamah. And we see this even on the deathbed of many of the righteous Salihin, Umar ibn al-Khattab, you know, subhanAllah, Aisha anha, the narrations are powerful, how they were on their deathbeds. And people would come and console them and say to them, you are, you know, this is the status you've reached, the beloved of Allah's messenger, the wife of Allah's messenger, and Allah has freed your innocence from above the seven heavens, they said to Aisha Abdullah bin Abbas, and so forth. Yet these people had fear on their deathbeds. Because they were not negligent. They, they, they worried about their sins. Right? Without losing hope in the mercy of Allah. But they gave importance to it because it keeps a believer on God. The moment we swat our sins and belittle the sins. Then those small sins all add up, all add up. And it becomes a huge mountain that will fall down upon us. May Allah protect us. mean, So the issue of sin and the prophets. I will try to go briefly through this in But basically, Shaykh Islam al Islam said... The view that the Prophets were protected from major sins but not from minor sins is the view of the majority of the scholars of Islam and all sects. They were protected from major sins, meaning they never committed any major sin. But there were some small mistakes and sins where they might have created here and there, right? It is also the view of the majority of the scholars of tafsir and Hadith and the fuqaha. Nothing was reported from any of the salaf, imams, sahaba, tabi'in or the successive generation that does not agree with this view. So basically, this is the agreed upon view that they were only protected from major sins. It's impossible for them to have lied or to backb- have backbited or to have stolen or to have committed zina or riba or killed and so forth. This was not the way of any of the Ambiya. Sheikh Slam also said most of the reports from the majority of the scholars state that they were not infallible with regard to minor mistakes. we're going to use the word mistakes rather than sin. But they were not allowed to persist in them. So they may have fallen into a mistake here and there. Very rarely they would fall into a mistake. But they never ever persisted in a mistake. Right? If they committed a mistake, Allah would have rectified them. Allah would have revealed to them and they would have immediately changed their way. Immediately. And this is obviously a mercy upon them and a mercy upon their followers as well. Right? The first suggestion that they, would, that they were completely infallible came from the Rafidah, the Shia, who say that they are so infallible that they could never make any mistake even by way of forgetfulness and a misunderstanding. This is obviously incorrect. We know that the, the prophets were men. They were human beings after all, and they would eat and drink and they would sleep. They had desires. They also forgot things at times. Things slipped their mind at times, right? and so forth. The Prophet s.a.w. overslept for a salah. There's a hadith about this, and so forth, right? Things happened. He's a human being. Not purposefully, but by mistake. You understand? Shaykh Islam also said, The ayat which indicate the prophethood of the prophets also indicate that they are infallible with regard to conveying of the message from Allah. So what they say can only be true. Nobody can now come and say, Well, maybe they told a lie, maybe they made up something, maybe they changed something. Whatever they spoke was the truth. Whatever they spoke was the truth, as we said, no lies, no backbiting, no stories, no tale-bearing, no nothing of that sort. The small mistakes came in, small issues, um, and so forth, right? This is the meaning of prophethood, which implies that Allah tells the Prophet something of the unseen, and he tells it to the people and the messenger is commanded to call the people to Allah and to convey the message to his Lord. Hence, it's impossible for Allah to have made it possible for them to commit sins of the tongue as as lying and so forth. This is something that they are definitely ma'asum or infallible um, towards, right? When it comes to matters of the dunya, then the Prophet is like an ordinary person. Carpentry, medicine, farming, um... Labor labor works and so forth, whatever field, right? The Prophet was a normal man. If you look at this hadith over here, there were some people who were pollinating dates or naam, right? So the Prophet walked past him one day and said, What are you doing? They said, This is what we are doing. And he said, Perhaps you don't have to do that. Some time went by and the harvest was not as good as normal. So they mentioned this to the Prophet and he said, If I tell you to do something regarding the religion, the deen, then follow it. But if I tell you to do something based on my own opinion, I'm only a human being. Meaning this what I told you just came to my mind is to do with farming. I'm not a farmer. So I can make mistakes in this. So you don't have to listen to me in these type of issues. But when it comes to the deen of Allah, whatever I say you have to take. Because he's the messenger of Allah. So in matters of dunya, there's things that he gets right and things that he gets wrong. He's like a normal person in these issues, right? Unless it comes from wahi. In matters of the deen, then definitely um, it's clear-cut a matter of deen which comes from Allah Azza wa Jal. With regard to unintentional mistakes concerning matters of religion, if it's a matter of ijtihad, where there's no text, then the Prophet would have to do his own ijtihad, and at times he would get it right, and at times he would get it wrong. Right? This is example of this is found with the prisoners of Badr, where Umar ibn Khattab said, these prisoners, we should execute them. Abu Bakr said, let's forgive them and accept payment for their ransom. The Prophet eventually took the opinion of Abu Bakr. Only for Allah to reveal it is not for a Prophet that he should have prisoners of war and free them with ransom until he had made a great slaughter among his enemies in the land. Basically rectifying his decision as if to say, um, this is not the correct decision that you have made. So these issues happened, right? It happened that where there was no text, where Allah did not reveal wahi, he would have had to make a decision. Sometimes he got it right. Sometimes he got it wrong. Right? <clears throat> to summarize, any mistake they made was immediately rectified by Allah. They never persisted upon any fault or any error, but they could have fallen into a minor sin here and there. Out of a moment of negligence, a moment of heedlessness, it was never that they purposefully committed a sin. Today people knowingly commit sins. This is not the way of the Anbiya. They would fall into a mistake by accident and then they would be rectified by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those small things that happened, they carried upon their backs as burdens heavy upon them. This was their way of Allah Musta'an, compared to our way where we openly sin. Speaking about haram, looking at haram, investing in haram, riba, zina, khamar, people's indulging in everything. No burden on the back. And this is a sign, why do we not carry these burdens on our backs? This means our iman is weak. This means our hearts are sick and so forth. May Allah cure us. Amen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ And we elevated your renown for you, your reputation, your mention, your fame. We elevate, we raised it for you. Ta'ib, so Allah mentions, He opened up His chest, expanded His chest. Allah mentions that He relieved him of his burden which weighed so heavily on his back. And now Allah says, and we raised your name for you. We elevated your status as as if to say, this is how much we love you. This is how much we're honoring you. Don't worry, don't give up. Don't think for one moment that we hate you or that we abandoned you. Never. What these people are saying is completely false. Look how we have raised your your status, O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Ibn Kathir mentions the statement of Mujahid, rahimahumullah, he said that Allah said, I am not remembered. Allah said to the Prophet, I am not remembered except that you are remembered with me. I be witness that there is none God worthy of worship except Allah. Muhammad is the Messenger. Every time this kalima is uttered, we firstly we remember Allah, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, and we say, Ashadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad al Abduhu wa rasooluh. Allah has connected this name with His name. Alama ibn Allah, he said, Three ways are Allah, at least three ways are Allah raised the name and the fame and the renown of Rasulullah firstly before every salah from the highest places the, the places of the, the the minarat comes the adhan every adhan Allah has again connected his name with the messenger's name raising his name raising his fame raising his mention raising his reputation his renown and think of it after that comes the Iqama. And again, think of it, every place in the world is on its own waqt. There's people in Makkah making salah now, then the people in this country, then this. At every moment, right, there's an adhan going off somewhere. There is someone mentioning the name of Rasulullah Sallallahu sending salutations and peace and blessings and mercy upon him. This is how Allah has, has raised his station, his, his status. Secondly, he raised his mention in every tashahud. The tashahud is fard, in the salah at least once, Right? Sometimes twice, sometimes even thrice, if a person comes late for the salah, for example. But in every tashahud, we have to say, Ashhadu ala ilaha illallah, Ashadu ala Muhammad al Rasulullah. Every salah, we have to mention his name. And then we also say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad, kama etc. Thirdly, he raised his mention with every act of worship. SubhanAllah, imagine this is a powerful point that the Sheikh makes. Every ibadah, we explained this before in the tafsir of Al Fatiha we spoke about ibadah and worship that every act of worship has two conditions before it can be accepted the first is ikhlas sincerity and tawheed that is done for the sake of allah and secondly that that worship must be in accordance with the sunnah of rasulullah it must be if it's not according to the sunnah it's a bid'ah, which means it's rejected and not accepted so every act of worship that we do we need to think Am I following the Prophet Sallam? How did he do this worship? How did he pray? How did he make Salah? How did he make Hajj? How did he pay zakah? How did he teach us to pay zakah? What are the etiquettes of dua? Etiquettes of giving charity? How did he fast? How did he interact with his wives? How did he do this? How did he do that? Whenever we do this, we think about him. We remember that we are following him. And this is how Allah has raised his rank. That every ibadah that is done The Prophet is also a part of that ibadah. It's done for the sake of Allah, yes, directed to Allah alone, yes, but the method of the worship, how that worship is done, comes from the Messenger of Allah. And this proves how Allah has raised him. Subhanallah. From Tafsir al Qurdubi, he mentions some statements. Ibn Abbas said that Allah said to the Prophet, I am not mentioned except that you are mentioned with me in the Adhan, Iqama, Tashahud. We explain this. On the minbars of Jumu'ah, on the two Eids, on the days of Tashriq, on the day of Arafa, people pelting the Jamarat, on the top of Safa and Marwa, in the Khutbah of Nikah, and in the East and the West. Whenever you hear Ashadu Allah, Ilaha, Illallah, we hear Ashadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Right? Whenever you hear "In Alhamdulillah, we praise Allah, and what comes after that? And we send salutations and blessings and peace upon Rasulullah. sallallahu Allah has raised his name like this at every khutbah that's given. You will hear salutations must be sent upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In fact, he also said, if a man worshipped Allah, he believes in Jannah Jahannam and every aspect of iman, but he did not bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. None of that would benefit him. No worship would benefit him. In fact, that person is a kafir out the fold of Islam. Wallahu Musta'an. Like this, Allah has raised Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Some scholars said. We raised your mention, meaning we mentioned you in the previous scriptures that was sent down to the prophets. And we instructed those prophets to give glad tidings to their people of your coming, O Messenger of Allah. That no religion will ever overcome your religion. This is one of the interpretations. This is how Allah raised his rank. We mentioned you in every book. And every prophet had to mention you to their people and give glad tidings to the people that this man will come, Muhammad will come, and that his deen will be over... It will overcome all, all other religions this is if this is not raising his rank then what is another opinion we raised your mention? meaning in the heavens with the malaika the malaika they know him they mention him they send salutations upon him the malaika are sending peace and mercy upon the Prophet sallallahu wa inna Allah wa yusalluna ala nabi Allah says it Allah and the messengers send their mercies, special mercies upon the Prophet in this dunya the believers are mentioning him at all times as we said. And in the year after, Allah will raise his station again with giving him the maqam and mahmuda, the praise station, and the highest levels in Jannah. These are some of the interpretations of the scholars on how Allah has truly raised the rank of his messenger and his renown and his reputation. Allah then says, So surely with hardship comes ease. Surely with that hardship comes more ease. So in Arabic, we have a principle which says if a noun is used in the definite form is repeated, then the second refers to the first, then the second refers to the to the first. So definite and indefinite we get in Arabic, right? One of the signs of definite is it has an al attached to it, an al attached to it, alif and alam. So if you look at the ayah, you will see al-usr and al-usr both are definite they both have the al attached to them if you look at the word yusra and yusra in the second ayah both have no al and they have a tanween and the ra which means they are indefinite so if a noun in the definite form is repeated so al-usr is repeated twice then the second refers to the first this is an arabic rule which means in the second ayah when allah says inna ma'al usri this usr refers to the first usr they are basically the same thing that we are speaking about the same thing the same hardship You understand? That's what the translation says. That hardship, not any hardship, that hardship that we just mentioned now in the previous ayah, right, comes with more ease. Why? Because if a noun in the indefinite form, like Yusra here, twice Yusra is mentioned in in an indefinite form, then the second does not refer to the first as it is indefinite. So the first Yusra and the second Yusra are two different things. So basically, to summarize, what does this mean? This means in this two ayat, Usra is mentioned twice, but it refers to one type of hardship. Yusra is mentioned twice, but it refers to two types of ease and relief. So, this is why the translation says, with hardship comes ease. And with that same hardship comes more ease. Two types of ease and relief for one type of hardship. This is the, 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 subhanallah, the beauty behind these, the way Allah constructed these ayat. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, Allah the Exalted is saying, I created one hardship and I created two eases, two reliefs, double the relief. One hardship can never overcome two eases or two reliefs. The mercy of Allah. Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, By the one in whose hand is my soul, he swears by Allah, if usr hardship was deep down in a hole, then ease usr would seek it out until it enters upon it. Because one usr hardship can never overcome two usrs. What a powerful. Ayah and how powerful this is as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Al-Hakim has structured it. Alam ibn Uthaymin he said this is another glad tidings for the Prophet sallallahu and for the rest of the ummah. We've opened up your chest. Yes, it's a fact. We've removed your hardship. We've given you, forgiven your sins that was weighing down upon you so hard. We've raised your name and your renown throughout the East and the West in the heavens and the earth. Not just that. With your hardship will come ease, and with that hardship will come more ease. Look at this glad tidings giving to the Prophet ﷺ. After all your difficulties in Mecca, in Taif, munafiqin in Medina, oh, and so forth, ease is coming your way. Inna ma'al usri inna ma'al usri fa inna ma'al usri inna ma'al usri With that hardship will come more ease. Every person going through hardship, whatever it is, remember these ayat. Remember these ayat, right? Think of the life of the Prophet all that hardship. Look at the ease that he goes through, right? At the end of his life, the, the ummah grows. His sahaba, his wives, they are there with him. And when he leaves this dunya, where does he go to? The ultimate bliss, the highest station of all stations, right? Remember these ayat. With whatever hardship I'm going through, double the ease is coming my way. Put your trust in Allah Azza wa Jal. Turn to Allah Azza wa He will never forsake you. He does not hate you. He's not turning you away. He's testing you because He loves you. He wants to bring you closer. This is the sunnah of Allah Azza wa Jal. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Once you have fulfilled your duty, strive in devotion, turning to your Lord alone with hope. This is the end of the surah. We will obviously end off on this, inshallah. Once you have fulfilled your duty, Farih means someone who's free is done. right? Fa you've you, you done, you've done, whatever you're supposed to do. Strive in, de, in devotion. Don't, don't relax. Don't sit back. Don't give up. Don't think you're just done. Fo Keep firm. Strive hard in your devotion. Some of what the classical ulama said, Ibn Ammas'ud Sahabi he said. This means once you have fulfilled the obligatory prayers, strive in the night prayers. You've made Isha, Witr, Alhamdulillah. Don't just go and sleep the whole night and wait till Fajr. Fan sob. Continue. Carry on. Strive hard now. Pray the night prayers. Abdullah ibn Abbas, Sahabi again says Once you fulfilled your salah, exert yourself in dua and ask Him for your needs. Alhamdulillah, you made your salah for the day. You've prayed. Whether it's whatever time of the day, now turn in dua. Fansab, don't just salah and it's over. Turn, talk to Allah, communicate with Allah, ask Him whatever you need, He will provide. al kalibi said, once you fulfilled conveying the message, then strive in seeking forgiveness for the believers. Yani, oh, messenger of Allah, you fulfilled, you, you've, you've given the da'wah, you spread the message. Now, strive and seek forgiveness for the believers. This was his interpretation of um this verse 1. Mujahid said once you fulfilled your dunyawi affairs strive in your salah right so any person you've you've done your work for the day you've studied you've gone to campus for the day you've gone to school for the day whatever it is you've, you've attended certain classes certain uh whatever it may be obligations you had in this dunya now make sure your your salah is also fulfilled don't think that you've done your dunyawi issues it's okay to sit back and relax You've achieved what you need to achieve in the dunya. No, remember your salah. Right? Stand firm for your salah. Uh, Al-Junaid said, once you fulfilled your affairs in regards to creation, strive in worshipping Al-Haq, the true, the truth, the one who is the truth. Right? Meaning, Faraghta, you're done. You've served people you're supposed to serve. It's not your parents, your kids, your wife, your family, and so forth. You've taken care of everybody's needs. Remember Allah's needs. Remember Allah's right upon you. Our family has a a right over us, right? Our parents and our our, our families and so forth, our friends, our neighbors have a right over us. Once you fulfill that, remember Allah's right over you. Make sure you fulfill that right as well. These are some of the interpretations of this ayah. Um, It's some of the classical scholars mentioned. Sheikh Ibn Taymi, he said, This means when you have fulfilled some work, then move on to some other work. Move on to some other work. Meaning a person should always be busy. Time is running. Don't think you can just sit and relax now and lay down and waste your time. Because you've done something, you've achieved something, whether it's your dunyawi work, your dini work, whatever it is. You've done something, now strive, continue working. You understand? And this is basically what they, they how they understood this ayah. The ayah is telling you fulfilled your duty, now strive harder, continue going. You know, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, uh, he was asked by his students, Mata Raha, when, when can we relax? When can we take a break? Remember, this was a different time again. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said he memorized one million narrations. One million narrations he memorized. This is including, I mean, hadith and narrations of Sahaba and Tabi'in and so forth, including weak and da'if and everything. But it's narrated from him that he memorized one million narrations. The Imam of the Sunnah. This is his laqab. His nickname is Imam of Ahlul Sunnah. Right? For various reasons. And when Raha. When can we relax? And he said, when you set your foot into Jannah, that's when you relax. This was the way of the Salaf, the way of the righteous Imams. Right? فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ When you fulfilled, your are you done your duty, you're done for you the day, فَانْصَبْ Now strive in devotion. Do something else. Continue working. Continue working hard. Um, Ibn Uthayyamin also said, this also means when you fulfill some work in the dunya, move on and strive in working for the Akhirah. You, 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 you worked for the day. Came home at 5 p.m. Now what? Do we just Relax the next day strive and work for the akhirah attend the classes in the evening memorize some quran in the evening you know do something constructive work for the akhirah you've given this whole day for the dunya do something for the akhirah the dunya is only 60 years long on average could be more could be less the akhirah is eternity what are we investing on a daily basis for the dunya and how much do we invest on a daily basis for the akhirah ask we should ask ourselves this question wallahi and and this is an ayah that can then that can wake us up You've done for the dunya, what now for the akhirah? Example of Jumu'ah, the Sheikh mentions Allah SWT says, O oh believers, when the call to prayer is made on Friday, proceed diligently to the members of Allah and leave off your business. So, generally, on a Friday, it's a weekday, people are working. Right? When the call to Jumu'ah comes, you've got to give up that dunya with time now and go and remember Allah. Right? And that is best for you if only you, if only you knew. Then Allah says, once the prayer is over, disperse throughout the land and seek the bounty of Allah. What does this mean? Once the Jumu'ah is done, go out again and go work. Go seek the bounty, go go earn the rizq. This is what the ayah means. So, the reason for the mentions it in this context is because Jumu'ah's obligation is between two times of of, of generally of times that we're seeking in the dunya. We're working. Come to Jumu'ah, go back to work you're done go work you're done go work subhanallah right so another point we can mention here is that even our time of relaxation we i mean it's normal that we need to relax we need to rest we need to um you know kick back and unwind from stressful times and so forth but the hikmah is that we need to try to use that time to prepare for to 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 strengthen ourselves for time of worship that's basically the hikmah behind that we're, what we're basically looking for. Right? So, like uh, uh, Muadi bin Jabal, who said in Sahih Bukhari, that I seek reward for my sleep just like I, sleep re- I seek reward for my Qiyamul Layl. Meaning, he sleeps to get energy so that when he stands up, he's refreshed and he can pray Qiyamul, he can pray Tahajjud. So, he seeks reward for both. So, even the relaxation is like a deed, it's like a good deed. And this is the, the, the hikmah of the, of the Salihin and how they would maximize their, their ibadat and, the, and, the, and their righteous deeds. Musta'an. But the main point of that ayah is we should not be wasting this life, wasting this time because it will, we will be asked about it. And in the akhirah, the one regret there will be is we wish we did more. We, we wish we could have said one more subhanallah, one more alhamdulillah, one more Allahu Akbar and so forth. So the time is now to work. And then we can relax in the akhirah. May Allah make us of those who are successful in this dunya and in the akhirah. Amin. The last ayah: Wa ila rabbika farghab. Turning to your Lord alone with hope, meaning after you've done your deeds, right فَانْصَبَ You've done your deeds, your amal, your actions, and you strove hard in your devotion. You continue to work, turning to Allah with hope, longing for His rewards. وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ Right? When you did those deeds and you are doing those deeds, it should only be for the sake of Allah, towards Allah. Longing, we are seeking Allah through this. Devotion, devoting ourselves to Him alone. This is what this basically means. Ilā rabbik Towards your Lord, Farhab. Seek, you know, he, your devotion should be directed to Him. Seeking His thawab, His reward. And think, seeking His, um, like Jannah for example. Seeking that from Him, seeking His rahmah seeking His mercy, and so forth, right? It should be addressed and directed towards Him. Farhab. right? Seeking Him out, devoting yourself to Him alone, longing for His assistance and His reward, and also the acceptance of your worship. This is how we should be um, living. Not for anything else, not for anybody else. Ila rabbika farghab. should be devoted to Him alone. That's it. That's what we owe. That's where we seek our reward. That's where we seek our, our, our help and assistance. Um, and ultimately our paradise bi'ithni Ta'ala. Um, the last point is that Sheikh bin Husayman mentioned this, that the verse also denotes restriction or limitation, meaning that one should always turn to Allah and turn to Him alone, longing for what is with Him, and this also brings about ease. Meaning, like we explained with Iyaka na'abudu wa Iyaka that this ayah could have been Irghab ila rabbik or Farghab ila rabbik. Could have been the other way around, strive towards your Lord or turn to your Lord with hope. Right? The structure is flipped around when it's flipped around like this, like iya it's also flipped around. We explained this in, in detail back then. Then, this you this, feel it restricts it, it restricts the meaning to your Lord alone. To your Lord alone, should you basically turn in all of your affairs, seeking only from Him, devoting yourself only to Him, right? And this is, of course, tawheed. Right, this is the whole idea of Tawheed, that we do everything for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. Seeking our reward from Him, not from the people. Seeking acceptance from Him, not from the people. And longing for His mercy and His ultimately Jannah His Jannah. And this also brings about ease. When we live like this, Allah will make your affairs easy. In inna ma'al usri yusra, inna ma'al usri yusra comes into effect. Allah will ease all of your affairs. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately knows best. So that is the, the Surah to Sharh. Right, the powerful, beautiful surah of Alam like al Right, have we not expanded your chest, O Messenger O Muhammad? Have we not? And have we not um, relieved you of your burden, of those sins which was weighing so heavily on your back? We explain the hikmah behind this, how they, they treated their sins and how we should therefore treat our sins, not take it lightly. have we not raised your, your status? Showing his love, showing, affirming it, confirming it for the Prophet seriously consoling him, showing him that look how we have how we've raised you, how much we love you, how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed you. With hardship comes ease, and with that hardship comes more ease, more relief. Allah will open your door. Allah the, the help of Allah is very near. It's near. when you've done your duty, strive hard in devotion don't stop don't rest work for the Akhirah our time in this dunya is short let's work and let's rest in the Akhirah as Muhammad said turning towards your Lord longing for His reward longing for His acceptance and ultimately His paradise may Allah Azza wa grant us success and may, may, may He make us of those who understand this ayat and that. may He make this ayat penetrate our hearts so that when we recite it it can change us it can bring us closer to Him and it can enhance our ibadat like our salah. And may he make us of those whom he ultimately forgives and blesses and enters into paradise with his beloved Rasulullah. And our beloved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Amin, rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabihina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la illa anta astawfiruka wa atubu ilayk.